Welcome, everyone, to episode two of the Sports Nuts and Beer Guts podcast, a weekly podcast where longtime friends invite you to join us as we talk sports, brews, and various shenanigans. Your sports nuts this week are Chris Collette and Matt Hickey Hickman. Gentlemen, how goes it? All well on my end. Oh, fantastic here. Well, guys, I have to ask, um, this is episode two, what is your uh, drink of choice this week? Hickman? I know yeah. you were drinking a LaCroix last week. Are you doing a, you finishing off a White Claw summer this week? Uh, once again, I'm embarrassed. Uh, it is LaCroix. I'm going from <laughs> lime last week to tangerine this week. Is that They're, a step up or a step down? It's a, it's an absolute lateral step. They are <laughs> both not very flavorful, but are assisting and keeping me from drinking sodas. So necessary evil. I like it. Chris, what's the beverage of choice this week? Uh, had to go with Old Faithful, uh, Tito's, and Diet 7-Up. Oh, I was afraid. Watch that figure. I was afraid when you said Old Faithful, you were going with Natty Light. I expected Mick Ultra. <laughs> I, I do like some Mick Ultra. Yeah, Tito's and, Tito's and Diet 7-Up. Oh, the Diet 7-Up. I haven't gone that route before, but I do like a Tito's. Um, this week, I'm going with the Henry McKenna, a 10-year-aged uh, bourbon, bottled and bond. It's uh, surprisingly one of the best bourbons that's still fairly cheap. Uh, Big fan of it. As we get into this week's episode, uh, we will be NFL heavy. We actually have guys in tights on the field. We had the Hall of Fame last week, Hall of Fame induction ceremony in the game and all that fun stuff. But we're also going to dive into the TBT, the basketball tournament, the FedEx Cup, and coaches complaining about stadium attendance. Well, boys... Let's get to our first segment as we make sense of the week. Our Making Sense of the Week segment is sponsored by Edward Jones. Edward Jones Advisors can help work with you to help you understand the impact of short-term events and how to be positioned for the long term. Edward Jones provides the tools for a reasoned, disciplined approach to investing. Call 865-988-7560 to schedule a face-to-face appointment today. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing member SPIC. So let's start by making sense of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Last weekend, Tony Gonzalez, Ed Reed, Champ Bailey, Ty Law, Kevin Mawai, Pat Bolin, Gil Brandt, and Johnny Robinson were all selected into the hall. Now we could break down those players and who deserved to get in the hall, who didn't, who was snubbed. That's boring. So instead, what's your favorite memory of these guys? And before we get started, I have to be honest. I had to look up who Johnny Robinson was because I was not familiar with that dude. But do you guys have a favorite memory of any of those guys? So uh, Champ Bailey, uh, I guess the, the first one that comes to the come to mind, Champ Bailey and Ty Law. I mean, obviously, I'll definitely remember that interception in the end zone against the Patriots in the 2005 postseason where he took it 99 yards. Uh, <laughs> That, that was fantastic. Uh, ben Watson obliterated him at the end of it, which was crazy. And I, honestly, I think the ball did go. Th- I think it should have been a touchback. It was a, it was an incredible play by. Well, it wasn't even that incredible play by Brady. It's just icon- <laughs> or by, by Bailey. It's iconic just because Brady threw a duck. Well, I love that part of it probably more than anything else. But that's, that's and the world rejoiced. The world rejoiced. Uh, remember that one well. I was sitting at my ex girlfriend's apartment watching that game, and she was very frustrated that I was paying lots of attention to the football game. Is that why she's an ex-girlfriend? Probably one of many reasons. I was a jerk. Chris, you have any good memories of these guys? 
my favorite uh, player that got inducted was Ed Reed. I love the 108-yard return. Pretty awesome. Uh, I loved Ed Reed as a player, just an absolute ball hawk. He was fun to watch. I, as well, had no clue who the hell Johnny Robinson was. <laughs> uh, I still don't know who he is. I didn't look him up. But as far as my favorites, uh, Ed Reed, uh, returning touchdowns, holding the ball in one hand, just like a baller. I, I loved watching him play. Uh, you say like a baller, but my favorite Ed Reed story, I'm a Bengals fan, and so my favorite Ed Reed story was actually his his rookie year. You knew he was going to be an all-pro. He was a stud. I feel like every time in his career he played the Bengals, he had at least two interceptions. Uh, but his rookie year, Ed Reed picks off John Kitna of mm. Bengals lore. He's returning it for a touchdown. It was back in the day when it seemed to happen a lot. But he was celebrating and stretching the football out, acting like he was all cool or something. And I believe it was TJ Hoosmanzada comes back and strips the ball. Who's your mama strips the ball? Uh, It's recovered for a touchback by one of the uh, most infamous Bengals wide receivers of all time. Anybody anybody have a guess who that would have been? Oh, gosh. This would have been like 2000 and Any chance it was Chris Henry? 2002, 2003. Yeah, it wasn't Chris Henry. That's a good guess, though, for a Titans fan. I have this guy's jersey. Oh, it, it wasn't. No, Antonio Brad didn't play a lot. Oh, it was Peter Warwick. P-Dub. <laughs> P-Dub recovers it for a touchback. One of the best, his best plays as a professional. <laughs> it was. Pretty so, awesome yeah, year so. for defensive backs in the Hall of Fame, though, right? I mean, Ed Reed, Champ Bailey, and Ty Law. Well, and that's my favorite thing about like the Hall this year is like these are guys that we grew up with. Yeah. You know, this is like the heart. Career. Yeah, I mean, like, I still think Tony Gonzalez is one of the best tight ends of all time. Now, I don't know what his stats look like compared to, you know, like Gronk and stuff. But, I mean, I do wonder, like, when you're trying to induct a an offensive lineman into the Hall of Fame, like, how do you how do you go about putting Kevin Maway into the Hall of Fame? Well, so, I mean, you look at it differently. I mean, sure, stats are difficult to compile. As a former crappy offensive lineman uh myself uh you know there's there's weren't stats to look at things like that to fall back on a lot of it yeah you can look at him he had what eight pro bowls and we're in a bunch of them in a row he was on teams where uh they had like immediate turnarounds uh wasn't he on he i think he blocked for chris johnson's 2000 yard season and when he went to the jets his first year they immediately uh, became a juggernaut with curtis martin running the ball so i think you look at things like that and then also what sort of uh, leadership the player provided and Kevin Mawai was always the, the consummate leader teammate I don't know that that's, it's, it makes it more difficult to create a case for an offensive lineman because of the lack of stats but I think uh, you you do look at other other things that's that's how we got it. and only the best of the best offensive linemen get in so you don't look at stats you look at stats like pro bowls and stuff well that's not but that's not on-field stats what I'm saying gotcha yeah I always feel bad for the big hog mollies up front because I just you know if you have a good running back, I guess it makes the the lineman look better. But Chris wasn't uh, wasn't Kevin wasn't he a Titan for most of his career? Uh, not most. Uh, he was probably two or three years. Oh, I still envision him with the old Titans jersey with the old sword font back in the day. Hmm. He he was solid. I think I think offensive linemen are mostly reputation built, like based Fair. on getting in the Hall of Fame. Well, so that makes me wonder. Do you guys think, and this is just Hall of Fames in general? Um, should we be putting in the best of the best? Should we reward absolute greatness? If a guy has one or two heck of a seasons, does he need to be a hall of famer? Should we just look at longevity guys that are putting up 
you know, numbers year after year, some calculation of both. If you guys were to develop a hall of fame, which one would you guys look at? I would, I would definitely lean towards uh, greatness uh, players that were transcendent, transcendent at their position. I mean, you have to have some, some career longevity. You can't just be like a one or two year wonder, but I would definitely tilt towards uh, greatness over just people that played 19 seasons and, and picked up some good stats while they played. So, would you put Nick Foles in for that credible run he had that one year? I'm sorry, but Big Dick Nick's probably not making it. <laughs> <laughs> wait, 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 wait. You don't know what he's about to do in Jacksonville. <laughs> we also don't know if he's earned his nickname yet. <laughs> I, I think <laughs> I, I, I agree with Chris that, that you, you, I would definitely skew towards greatness. And, and the, the two players that come to mind initially are Kurt Warner and Terrell Davis. Terrell Davis was the best running back in football for a four-year span, and it wasn't close. Kurt Warner has one of the strangest careers ever. I mean, he was he was the best quarterback in football for a few seasons early in his career and then was effectively gone for a few seasons and then had that late career renaissance with the Cardinals where he was – HGH. <laughs> yeah. Uh, again, transcend. I mean, when he retired, he had the numbers one, two, and three passing yardage games in Super Bowls. And so, so you have somebody like him versus somebody who spent their their career racking up stats, trying to think of a quarterback who would Carson Palmer. Uh, no offense, Logan, but he's somebody. Drew Bledsoe, both guys who played forever. Kerry Collins has a ton of passing yards, but those guys should never be mentioned in the Hall of Fame. I would choose Kurt Warner over over them. Yeah, I think I agree. I think the uh, you know you want a Hall of Fame is the greatest players of their generation. Um, so even if that was just for a year or two, like Terrell Davis, I think that's what you want to reward guys that are, you know, this is something that may never be done again, or this is, you know, a standout performance because injuries have nothing to do with ability, have nothing to do with toughness. Sometimes guys back in the day that tore their ACL had no chance of coming back. Guys that tore their Achilles had no chance of coming back. And Still so just don't. because. Well, <laughs> in certain positions, you're right. Uh, but just because modern science has advanced doesn't mean I think we should hold it against those guys. So that brings me to our last question here on the Hall of Fame. Do Hall of Fames really matter to fans? Now, I'm going to preface this by saying Hickman and myself, neither one are baseball fans because for some reason, whew, baseball fans get their panties in a wad when it comes to <laughs> Hall of Fame discussion. True. Uh, but I myself have been to the College Football Hall of Fame uh, down in Atlanta, and I've been to the been to Canton. Uh, I've been to the NFL Hall of Fame, and I just got to be honest: Hall of Fames aren't exactly all that exciting. Um, if you've never been to the College Football Hall of Fame, it's fun just because it's very <coughs> interactive. You're wearing this um, necklace thing that you type in your favorite team, and so when you walk by different stations that may sing the fight song to you, or it'll pull up different stats for your favorite team and stuff. So it's very interactive. Uh, but just look, walking around looking at stats or looking at pictures of favorite dudes, like it's not even really that inspiring. It's not all that fun. You know, the three of us took a trip in college to the NFL Hall of Fame, and the trip was fun. But actually being at the Hall of Fame and looking at the pictures of dudes, it's just a little I, – I just I don't I – mean, I mean, I feel like it's not even like a museum because a museum you're seeing things that, oh, I didn't realize this dinosaur looked like this back in the day. Uh, this is all stuff we already know. It's already happened so it's not all that exciting. So do you guys think most fans really get jazzed up and excited about Hall of Fames? Do you think they really matter? Where do you think Hall of Fames rank? I'm, 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 I 
I get the point of it. It was largely under, underwhelming in a lot of ways. I, I think probably I would agree that the NFL and NBA are probably a little bit diluted. Uh, definitely College Football Hall of Fame. Uh, you do want to see the best of the best. Seeing busts of players, I'm not so super interested in. We did go to the to Canton. We got some good stories from that in college. But I do remember one specific thing. We, we walked through there, and they had Barry Sanders' jersey from when he hit 2,000 yards in a, the last game of the season in 97 against the Jets. And we all thought that was pretty cool. The memorabilia, I think, is cool. If you see, like, uh, it also had Jamal Lewis's cleats when he – uh, ran for 295 yards against the Browns. Th- I think those things are neat, but stats and info, uh, it was probably awesome pre-internet, but uh, <laughs> we have access to all that stuff in our pocket right now. So the memorabilia, you can't look, you can't see or touch Barry Sanders' jersey from a moment uh, in any other way except doing that physically. That's cool. Uh, the rest of it, eh. Yeah, I think like with the College Football Hall of Fame, honestly, one of the coolest parts is when you first walk in, they have a football helmet of all Division One colleges like hanging up on this giant wall. Um, and it's just neat to see, you know, all the logos and all the uh, all the different teams that are represented and stuff. But as Hickman mentioned, you know, our, honestly, I think our favorite part of that trip that we took in college to, to Canton Hickman can probably tell it better than I can, but somehow, do you remember Hickman? We like snuck our way onto the actual Hall of Fame field and we're like kicking field goals and throwing touchdowns and stuff. So for some reason, on this road trip, we were and we were in college. We were, I think, we were juniors. Chris was a freshman, baby of the group, and we we took a football everywhere we went, including to the Hall of Fame. Which I mean, well, to be fair, we took a football and fudge rounds everywhere we went. Everywhere. <laughs> we drove Logan's 1994 Pontiac Grand Am, which was, it was named. A, it was a 96, thank you, named Jean-Claude. Oh, okay, great name for a car. So if you've never been to Canton, the Hall of Fame sits next to uh, the Hall of Fame Stadium. The, the structure looks pretty unimpressive, but next to it, the stadium's actually pretty nice. We walk in, and I, I think for most of us, it was the first time we'd ever seen field turf in person, because this was in 2004. That's so true. That was, yeah, that that was that was pretty cool walking on the field turf, and some guy was there. They were playing some sort of uh, high school championship game, and this guy uh, opens the entrance, and we just stroll in. At that point in time, I had this thought that if you walked somewhere with a purpose and acted like you knew what you were doing, they'd pretty much let you in. And so we walked walked in. We're like, oh hey man, and then he just let us. We just went through. <laughs> so. <laughs> We took turns kicking field goals. We all had to catch touchdowns. I don't think anybody made a field goal. We do have some pictures of everybody catching touchdowns until finally some dude from, like, you know, the upper deck starts yelling, here you are, you kids! <laughs> and, you know, basically a, a Hank Hill get off my lawn moment, and then we all had to tuck our tails and, and, and leave. But uh, we had a few glorious moments where we felt like we were in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, we all have pictures now of us catching footballs, mm-hmm. catching touchdowns, and like Hickman said, trying to kick field goals on the actual field, which is which is pretty cool. It was awesome. Um, well, let's progress a little bit more into the NFL. Let's make sense of the NFL offseason if we can. So right now we've got uh, big names, Zeke Elliott, Melvin Gordon, uh, Jadavion Clowney, Trent Williams, offensive lineman, everybody, uh, or I'm sorry, defensive lineman, everybody holding out right now. Offensive lineman. Offensive lineman. I was right the first time. Uh, is he for, who does he play for, Chris? The Redskins for now. For some reason, I thought he was out West. Um, you can tell how I know I'm offensive lineman here. Um, of those four guys, which of these 
four is most likely to miss a game, Chris Collette? I think uh, Clowney, Gordon, and Williams all miss a game unless they're traded before the season. Is there any chance Melvin Gordon gets traded to the uh, <laughs> Buffalo Bills, Matt Hickman? <laughs> yes, there's always a chance. Based on the Bills' uh, incompetence and decisions to waste resources on running backs, they'll find a way. <laughs> if I put the odds at like seven to one, what do you, what do you think? What do you think the odds are there? Would you take it or no? Uh, I would, you know, I'd toss eight bucks on that. <laughs> For those of you trying to figure out why we're giggling like schoolgirls when we first did a practice podcast, um, Hickman's uh, sports bet at the, uh, the last segment that we do was that the Bills would sign Melvin Gordon. And for some reason, Chris Collette and I thought that was really funny um, because the likelihood of it is probably slim to none. So we've got Zeke. we got Melvin Gordon. I think Melvin Gordon, I mean, from all indications, I can't see a way that he's playing week one. Uh, I don't know if he's even going to be a charger this year. Um, Clowney and Williams, I can always see uh, the opportunity for a deal for offensive and defensive linemen. And then the Cowboys seem to be talking very optimistic that they'll work a deal out with Zeke. I wouldn't be surprised if they're not worried about not putting wear and tear on him in the preseason. But just in general, are you guys okay with players holding out? I mean, technically they do have a contract to honor. Granted, it's a little lopsided. They're not getting paid real well. But are you guys okay with them holding out right now? Uh, Absolutely. I mean, some of these players, they only have one chance to get paid. So uh, if they feel like they're not getting a decent offer, I'm all for it. Uh, from what's came out, Melvin Gordon was offered about ten million a year. He should probably take that deal. Uh, <laughs> just to be candid, he should definitely take that deal. Uh, but if you're like Zeke, you're one of the top three players at your position. And let's be honest, the Cowboys are going to run him into the ground. And Trent Williams is like a whole separate case where they apparently like misdiagnosed him last year with a knee injury. Yeah. And he has no confidence in their medical staff and basically told him, he said, I've never played for you again, so trade me or cut me, whichever. So I'm okay Seems- as I'm okay with him holding out. So you're okay with him holding out even though it worked so well for uh Le'Veon Bell last year? Uh that was just a dumb situation <laughs> by a really dumb player. Uh it, the Steelers offered him a very, very fair deal. He for some reason, took a worse deal than he was offered two years ago to sign with the Jets of all teams. There, there's just no logic in that whole situation. So, but to be fair, it. didn't Bell like what the Steelers offer? It was a generous offer, but it was only like ten million guaranteed or something crazy, right? It was the first two years were were guaranteed on it, which is that's every NFL deal. You get two right. years, and then it's and then it's uh, we'll see kind of thing. So I yeah, think he so- was going to make thirty two. A million over the first two years, which that was very generous for a running back. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I think technically he has more guaranteed money in his deal with the Jets. But if you include what he would have made by the playing six. on the franchise tag, and yeah, yeah, he lost. He lost pretty big. Hickman, you're a big Steelers fan. You've seen players hold out and it work out and not work out. Are you okay with NFL players not living up to their uh, to their contract? Well, I am. Yeah. I'm I'm okay with that. I don't necessarily see it as a breach of contract. I mean, in in any work environment, you've got sometimes to play your cards. I think Zeke's a great example. Like Chris Chris was saying, he's among the he's the top three at his position, and he's really putting himself at risk. In a professional environment, you know, if you're going and punching a clock every day, you're probably not risking your life and limb as you are in in, in the NFL. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm okay with it. You've got to 
and sometimes you do make stupid decisions, and and Le'Veon Bell's <laughs> a great example of that. Um, and sometimes it does work out. But no, I don't. I don't have any sort of moral quandary or, or feel like it's a breach of contract. I fully understand it. Yeah, I feel like I'm with you for two reasons. One, when players hold out, they generally get paid. Like it honestly, yeah. it generally works out for them. Uh, but two, the first contract they signed, they had no negotiating power at all. Like they. Yeah. Um, yeah so it's you know you're drafted in this spot we're going to pay you this much and you'll still hear about some players that will hold out for a little this or a little that but i mean um the way it works out they they just don't have any sort of uh, any sort of power there but a guy that does have some power when it comes to signing deals tom the bomb brady just signed a new two-year deal um matt hickman is tom brady the best ever in the nfl (laughs) He is the most successful, very good quarterback of all time. <laughs> How's that? I uh, keep, going. keep going. So, I mean, this is a, this, I could do a whole podcast on 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 this, but um, I mean, last year, yes, they won their sixth Super Bowl. They had. Has anybody, any other quarterback, won ever. six? Has any no. quarterback ever won six Super Bowls? Has any other quarterback had Bill Belichick as their coach for their entire career? <laughs> Furthermore, I mean, in in this last Super Bowl, he had he he led his team to the fewest points to ever win a Super Bowl. So, I mean, he's he's where he is now is very similar to where he was early in his career, um, which is you know whatever. It's been a long illustrious career. We're all tired of him. Go away. But whatever, sign <laughs> for two more years. I would very much like it if Brian Hoyer led the Patriots <laughs> to a ten win season. It'd be totally fine. They won as 11, many games. 11. 11. They won as many games with Matt <laughs> Castle as their quarterback when they didn't make the playoffs as they did in two seasons in which they won the Super Bowl. Chris, you uh, you don't hate Tom Brady as much as Hickman does, but do we think that there's a chance that Tom, I mean, is it assumed that he's going to play out the last, like you think he'll play out this contract these last two years? Um, I, I don't see him retired anytime soon. He seems to enjoy it. He has probably the best job in sports besides maybe Brian Hoyer uh, who just sits on the bench and does nothing and collects checks. Uh, it's a pretty good job. Pretty good team. Belichick's a great coach. Uh, the division's a dumpster fire. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, so yeah. there's no reason for him to retire unless it's just health. He just physically doesn't think he can do it, but as of right now, he can still do it. Yeah. I think also, he likely- rarely gets touched. Right. And that's what I was going to say. I think the likelihood that he doesn't play out his contract is honestly just like every other quarterback in the NFL is potentially one hit, one injury, one concussion away. But Hickman, you got to give Tom some love for taking pay cuts his entire career with the Patriots. Yeah, I give, I give, absolutely give him credit for that. I, I, honestly, I think the Patriots have kind of squandered that at times. That's true. Um, um, so, so yeah, I mean, I give all kinds of credit. I give the majority of the Patriots credit to Belichick. But yeah, I absolutely have to give him some, uh, you know, some props for that. I'm no, no hatred there. Well, maybe this football season we'll do a podcast on what makes Belichick so good other than cheating and spying and all that fun stuff. Like, what is it he actually does? Because he's not necessarily an offensive. He's not necessarily a defensive genius. Um, oh, he's a defensive genius. You think that's the, you think that's the spot? <laughs> I, I do. I do. I'd love to talk about, talk about that. We'll bring, we'll bring AWOL on for that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of AWOL, he's a buddy of ours who loves the Colts. Andrew Luck is still not practicing. This is not the first time he's dealt with injuries. Um, right now they're saying it's a calf injury. 
Is there any worry that Andrew Luck's not ready to start the season? Absolutely. Uh, this happened a couple years ago where yeah. he had a shoulder injury, and it was like, oh, they even activated him off the, uh, the pup list because they're like, okay, she's coming back, and then he never came back. So I'm getting a little worried because this calf injury's been going on since April, and calf injuries don't linger that long. So I think there could be more to the story. Maybe his shoulder's acting up again. It could be a big deal for the AFC South. I yeah. agree. He could definitely miss time. Yeah, I think it's probably at this point likely. Uh, I mean, we got preseason football starting this week officially. I know we had the Hall of Fame game last week, but and he's still not even practicing. So um, to me, anytime you talk about leg injuries and just how vague they are, you know, you got to be worried. Uh, but speaking of crazy injuries, to wrap up our making sense of the NFL offseason, Antonio Brown has been quote unquote <laughs> dealing with foot issues all camp. Yeah, you know, there was I, there was rumor of it was blisters and different stuff come out this week that as a result of cryotherapy, Antonio Brown is dealing with extreme frostbite. Uh, is there any worries about Antonio Brown out there with the Raiders this year? There absolutely are worries. <laughs> <laughs> I I mean. It's, it's, I don't know if I can think of a circumstance where a player like so much goodwill evaporated so quickly. He was I mean, such a beloved figure, and, and then, like, man, he just mis- turned into Mr. Big Chest and just, I, mean, I don't know. I mean, I still don't dislike the guy. I just, what was he thinking? What the hell? <laughs> yeah, as a guy who's done cryotherapy before, uh, you're only in this chamber for, like, three minutes they make you wear two sets of gloves. At least the place I went to did. They make you wear these special slippers or sandals or something. And evidently Antonio Brown just decided, you know, my foot's hurting a little bit more today, so I don't want to wear the slippers. And they said, okay. Um, but if you have time, check the old Twitter and Instagram about Antonio Brown's feet. I mean, basically the entire bottom of them is just peeling off at this point because of the frostbite that he has. He's an aging wide receiver with foot issues. I assume frostbite, you know, once he recovers from it, he's good to go. It's not like a tendon issue or something, but it's definitely not how you want to start an off season with a new quarterback there. If you're, if you're Antonio Brown, last thing we need to make sense of this week, we need to make sense of college coaches complaining about a lack of attendance in the stadium. We've had c- coaches from Northwestern, Clemson, Iowa, uh, Ohio state. I mean, basically any coach has been behind a microphone has had discussions regarding the lack of attendance in their stadiums. Uh, it started with Northwestern's coach going on a rant, uh, basically blaming uh, kids being addicted to their cell phones as the reason why they don't show up to stadiums. I just kind of chalk that up to that's just coaches that like to complain and point blame at things they can't control because by and large division one football coaches are control freaks. But do you guys think there's a, there's an attendance problem in sports or is this just a result of college football selling their soul to TV stations? Um, I, I think it's a problem because there's alternatives. Like I don't have to spend $30 on parking, $60 on a ticket to go get a bad seat at, at the, at the stadium to see the game. Yeah. I, I can sit my ass on the couch. I can drink my Tito's and die <laughs> seven up. I, I can flip from one game. If the game starts sucking, I can go to another game. Uh, there's always something else there. Uh, the alternative to going to the game has is, is greater than actually going to the game for me. So as far as football goes, outside of a standalone Titans Thursday night game, I, I have 
or Monday night game. I, I have zero interest in going to a game because I feel like I miss the NFL, the rest of the league, or if it's college football, the rest of the conference play. So I'd rather sit at home. Uh, it has nothing to do with the cell phone. It's just it's cheaper and it's more comfortable. And that's what I'm kind of wondering. I mean, we see right now uh, Ohio State just spent, I don't know how many millions of dollars, adding Wi-Fi to their entire um, football stadium. Uh, the Falcons with the new Mercedes-Benz Stadium has has always, uh, with the new stadium, offered crazy low concession prices comparably. I don't know if you saw it, but the Rams this year, they're playing, uh, finishing up this year in the Coliseum. But they're offering season tickets for basically $31 a game to Rams games, Rams home games this year. And if you don't remember, the Coliseum uh, just underwent a $315 million renovation. So they got new seats, more leg room, upgraded the concourses, concession stands. They got new video boards, new lighting, all that stuff. So I feel like these these uh, schools, um, Ohio State, Clemson's got record uh, season ticket sales right now, probably because they won the national title. You've got professional teams that seem to be doing a good job of enticing people. But part of me wonders, what can they really do to boost attendance when people like Chris sit back and say, I just like being able to sit in my recliner, drink whatever I want to drink for whatever I've paid for at my fridge, and flip and watch whatever game I want to watch. There's nothing a stadium can do to change that. So, Hickman, what can stadiums or arenas actually do to boost attendance? So I don't necessarily think it, it is a unique problem. A lot of it has to do isn't necessarily with the product at the stadium getting worse. It's that the product on television has gotten so good. And largely just because of technology and cameras and all that. You can sit on your giant TV and the picture's incredible and you can quickly switch to something else. So the atmosphere at home is really good. Um, I, I think one, one thing that's always been frustrating, like Chris says, you always feel like you're missing something else. A lot of these games op operate in seemingly a vacuum. You don't get updates. I think it would be really interesting on that giant highlight board to show what's going on across um, across the, the country. A lot of times you, you just get this just like it was 30 years ago, this rotating, heavy, delayed update of at a Tennessee game you see on the board, Alabama 14, Mississippi State 7, and then known that for – 30 minutes and then it finally updates later i think that's one thing to to acknowledge other things going on around from around the game uh other other stadium or, or acknowledging other games other scores i don't know what what uh you know the rules there could be about broadcasting some things on the, on the large screen but anyway um interacting with some of that i think would be a huge improvement yeah and i think just little things like Show a replay when I'm at the stadium. When I'm yeah. at home, I can watch 18 replays because they're yeah. going to show it. But when you're at the stadium, because of different league rules or they're afraid that you know it's going to show the official something that they don't want to go against them, like show a replay. When somebody gets hurt, tell me somebody's hurt. Don't make me have to search the radio app on my phone to figure out why so and so is sitting on the sidelines. I think if if these athletic directors at different colleges just thought more like a fan instead of basically just taking fans for granted and assuming they're always going to show up because the you know game day experience is worth it, I think would would go a lot or would would go a long way there. Um, but I do think it's it's just a result of if you're college football for the last ten years, you have sold your soul to ESPN or Fox or these TV stations. You've developed the SEC network, the Big Ten, Big Ten network. And that has brought in a stream of revenue that 
I'm sorry, but it has just taken away from the live revenue there at the game. I think that's just something that he's got to he's got to deal with. Um, which I think we're seeing some, you know, some colleges are actually, you know, shrinking their stadiums and making them smaller, taking out seats to, you know, increase the, uh, the fan environment and stuff there. Um, but let's, uh, let's finish up here. Um, we're going to move into our next segment. This is a lightning round of sports topics. Boys, it's been five years since EA Sports introduced the in, or EA Sports produced the NCAA football game. How much would you pay for NCAA 2019 if it came out right now, Chris Collette? Um, I don't have a PS4, so I'm having to drop three hundred dollars on a PS4. <laughs> so uh, I, I was going to say five hundred all in. Give me a Whoa. plus a game. Give me five hundred dollars. Give me my dynasty back. Uh, I'm in. Uh, I'm in right now. That's true. So, so basically, a hundred dollars for the game. Hickman, are you uh, you going over or under the hundred bucks? I'm with Chris. I don't have a PS4 either. I still have a ancient ps3 uh if if i could somehow manufacture the time aside from kids and work and all this if i could do it with the dynasty i'll drop the 500 as well um, i think i think that's about the right amount yeah i think so i mean obviously the older we get we all have at least one kid uh, all of us but chris have two kids and chris has one on the way um we have less time to play but to be fair we also have more money to spend than we did in college when we had to wait True. for Christmas to show up and hope it was under the tree. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, 100, 125 bucks to be able to bust out the dynasty and, and see what happened. Did any of you guys happen to watch the TBT, um, also known as the basketball tournament? The championship game was last night. It was won by Carmen's crew, basically a bunch of Ohio state old dudes, alumni. Anybody, anybody catch that last Snitches. night? I did not. <laughs> well, snitches. Uh, Aaron Kraft was almost the MVP of the oh, uh, gosh. of the team last night. I watched. I didn't watch much of the tournament. But I watched the championship game. Um, it is basically old man YMCA ball. Um, Ohio My State. Kind. Ohio State's power forward couldn't have been bigger than six two or six <laughs> three, and he led the tournament in rebounds. You know, if you watch him go up and down, it's all that old man stuff of like them knocking the ball away right before you go up for a layup and a million pump fakes going up and down. But to me, the most uh, uh, innovative thing of the of the TBT is the Elon ending. And for those of you who don't know, Elon ending, basically you play the game like normal, four quarters, you get till uh, there's four minutes left in the game. And as soon as there's a first dead ball under four minutes, you look at the scoreboard, you add eight points to whoever's winning, and that's the target score that both teams need to have to win. Um, so basically the game will always end on a game-winning shot. Uh, you can't just hold the ball and let time expire and let them foul you, and it becomes a big foul fest at the end of the game. Um, the Elon ending was crazy exciting. I got to be honest, for a game that I didn't care about and partly because there was $2 million on the line, um, it is super exciting. But do you guys think there's any chance this Elon ending ever goes mainstream? No, but I think it's, I mean, super interesting. I'd, I'd love to, I, I didn't catch any of this, but that concept is pretty fascinating. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be excited about it. I, I watched a little bit of the tournament, and uh, the tournament's kind of whatever, but the ending, I, I love it. I think college basketball would be extremely smart to go to it because 
you get the 35 second shot clock and, and the end of college basketball games are just atrocious to watch. <laughs> I mean, the NBA at least has 24 second shot clock uh, timeouts advance the ball to, uh, to the front court there. So the NBA is fine without it, but I think college basketball would definitely be enhanced. And I could see some small conference trying to figure a way to make that work. So. Yeah. If yeah. I'm, if I'm Division Two or Division Three college basketball, first thing I do is I go to quarters. Second thing I do is I throw an Elon ending on there because on ESPN three I'm going to get eyes once I get under four minutes. Um, I just I just think it's that exciting. A 23 year old got a minor league baseball contract um, after hitting 96 miles per hour on the pitching machine at a Rockies game. Is one of those concourses. Um, he stepped up there through 96 miles an hour. What carnival game could you guys earn a pro contract in, Chris Collette? Um, I don't know that that con- uh, I don't know that one exists. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, I tried to throw the baseball, but it only goes about 67 miles an hour. So uh, <laughs> don't see a future there. Uh, yeah, there's there's bumper cars. Is, is that one? Can we do bumper cars? I'm, I'm damn good at bumper cars. Uh, that's, that's about all I got. You got the that. bump down. Hickman, is there any carnival game you think you could earn a pro contract in? If I if – I... Truly spent time practicing at it, Papa Shot. That that would be the one. Yeah, get, I think the Papa Shot. Yeah. But then I then I remember that video of the of the Oriental guy who's just you know one handed, both hands, just nothing but net every time. And I think, well, that guy's going to beat me every time. But I do think if I practiced enough, you give me enough t- enough uh, opportunity, I think I could go pro in some skee ball. All right. You hit that hundred spot every time up there in the in the far right corner. Um, I think it's possible to uh, to go pro in some skee ball. Last for our lightning round, the PGA FedEx Cup starts this weekend. First up, Hickman, did you know that the PGA FedEx Cup existed and that it started this weekend? I don't know that I still know what it is, but. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, other than uh, other than a Tiger Woods comeback, what does golf need to do to get uh, the mainstream fan interested? Uh, I don't. I mean, they tried to to rearrange the tournament schedule so that the FedEx Cup goes on uh, during the football preseason, so it ends before the NFL season starts. But I mean, the, the fields are stacked. It's fun to watch, but it doesn't really move the needle. You have the four majors. You have your PGA Championship. You got a handful of other tournaments throughout the year that, in my opinion, are better than the whole FedEx Cup for the four tournaments for it. So yeah, well, we're gonna we're gonna fall in line here to our next segment. We're gonna call this "Chug, Sip, or Pour Down the Drain." Uh, I like it. I'm going to throw a topic out. You boys tell me if you're going to chug it, sip it, or pour it down the drain. Chris, we're going to start with you. Shark week was last week. Are you chugging it, sipping it, or pouring it down the drain? I am pouring that down the drain. <laughs> you're not, not watching any shark week. Hickman? Uh, uh, I, I'm going to sip it. I, I, my favorite thing about shark week is probably the quote from 30 Rock when Tracy Jordan tells Kenneth, live every week like shark, like it's shark week, Ken. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> Neither do I. <laughs> I mean, I feel like Shark Week is what it is. Like sharks eat people. A couple people every year get eaten by a shark. Like it is what it is. So I'm I'm pouring that down the drain. It's overrated. Right. Second up, Natty Light. This is for you, Chris Collette. Um, has announced that they are adding seltzers to their lineup. 
Uh, these seltzers will have about 6% alcohol, which I'm sure is almost triple what a Natty Light has. Hickman, are you chugging it, sipping it, or pouring it down the drain? Uh, that's a hard pour down the drain. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you, man. <laughs> pour it down the drain as quick as I can. Chris, you're a Natty Light connoisseur. What do you say? Uh, I'm pouring that one down the drain. <laughs> if, it was, if it was a Natter day, on the other hand, I, I would be chugging that all day long. Well, I thought I'd liven up the Natter days in your house. Um, LeBron James and his son's layup line. Hickman, chug it, sip it, or pour it down the drain. Uh, I like LeBron. I, 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 I sip it. It's semi-entertaining, but I just like LeBron. Yeah, Chris. Uh, I'm gonna chug it because it's cool seeing seeing uh, LeBron being a dad. Uh, yeah, I, I'm all I'm all for it. Yeah, I think I'm, I think I'm chugging it as long as old Bronny isn't you know completely mortified and yeah. you know, he's yelling at his son, telling or yelling at his dad, telling him to get off the court, then. I'm I'm good to pour it down the drain, but you know, let him be a dad. Let him let him yeah. have fun with his kid. Um, multiple fantasy leagues. Are you guys okay with being in more than one fantasy league? Chug it, sip it, or pour it down the drain, Chris? Uh, this depends on the sport. So, so are we talking football here? Well, let's since it's football season, let's talk about football. Okay, if it's football, I'm chugging it. It's weekly. It doesn't take much effort to check my teams. Uh, the only caveat is. It has to be ESPN or Yahoo. I don't do anything else besides those two. So, uh, chug it. Hickman? Up to four teams chugging it. Ooh. <laughs> I'm not doing over four, uh, but I can do I can do four. That's my limit. <laughs> I think I could probably sip, who, I mean, an infinite number of teams. Because like Chris said, there's not a whole lot that goes into it. I draft them about the same amount of players. But to be fair, I'm only going to care, like Hickman said, about three or four of those leagues. There's going to be a bunch of them that I'm just going to assume I'm the better better drafter than everybody else and done more research. I'm just going to draft them and almost set it and forget it. Yep. My uh, my rules for fantasy football is pretty simple. It has to be like a friends and family league or it has to be money. If it's not one of those two, I'm not wasting my time. So. Yeah, and I wonder. I mean, I got some flack this year. I uh, I turned down a fantasy league because they weren't doing a live draft. Um, and it was a league I wasn't really going to care about. I only knew a couple people in it, but I said, Hey, if you guys do a live draft, I'm in, but if you don't, I'm probably not. And I got some hate regarding that, which is probably why I'm still, still sipping this stuff. We're going to end every show with our pick segment. Uh, we call this pick segment picking and grinning. Brought to you by the Agave Brothers cover band of Charlotte, North Carolina, to see their schedule of appearances or to add them to your event, restaurant, or venue needs. Uh, if they ever need a live band, feel free to hit them up on their Facebook page at the Agave Brothers. Chris, go ahead and recap our picks last week. Okay, we'll start with the winners. Uh, Logan was a winner with the under. The Broncos beat the Falcons 14 to 10 in a very Easy exciting money. preseason game. Uh, <laughs> The over under was what, 37 and a half, 39 and a half, something like that. It could have been 30, and I was taking the under. Uh, yeah, it under hit without a without any trouble. I had the Broncos minus two and a half, which uh, all it took was a fluke interception, a fourth down conversion via defensive pass interference, and a tip ball that fell in somebody's hands for a touchdown. Easy no money. No Easy money. I wasn't sweating that one at all. Uh, speaking of people that weren't sweating it at all, Hickman's uh, Jason Duffner, 80-1, to 1, to 
to win the Wyndham. Uh, yeah, he wasn't sweating because he didn't make the cut. So Where'd you get that pick at there. the toilet store, Hickman? <laughs> Listen, if it's something I don't know about, I'm I'm taking rum rolling the dice. I'm going to get rich. That's the that's the idea. All right. Well, let me start us off this week because I'm going basically against everything I said last week. This week, my pick is I'm taking the Bengals. Uh, they're playing the Kansas City Chiefs this on Saturday this weekend. <clears throat> Chiefs are a three-point favorite. Give me the Bengals at minus three. And I would also, if I had to put my feet to the fire, I'm taking the over. The over-under is 36. Generally, I tell everybody you take the worst team in preseason, which would be the Bengals. But I also say you always take the under in preseason. But the Bengals, new head coach, is supposed to be an offensive guru. I think he's going to try to prove he can put points on the board. He's going to try to put this winning mentality into his team. So I'm taking the Bengals and the over. Uh, Bengals minus three and over 36. Bengals plus three. Plus three, sorry. Yeah, give me the Bengals plus three. um, And I'm going over 36. Chris, where are you at this week? Um, I'm going to go with uh, golf since it's the FedEx Cup and all. Uh, The Northern Trust. Uh, I I really like Patrick Cantlay to uh, do very, very well at this tournament. Uh, He's 22 to 1 to win the tournament. I'm not quite going to go there. But there's a couple of matchups. It's basically Cantlay versus uh, Tiger. Cantlay's minus 150. Uh, That's a stone cold lead pipe block. Like, just put the mortgage on it, minus 150. The guards aren't great. Uh, Tiger. At the program today, he literally didn't hit anything besides putts on the back nine because his back was hurting. So, yeah, that's free money right there. Also went with Cantlay, minus 110 versus Justin Thomas. I really like Cantlay this week. Uh, can't say it enough. And then uh, also I have – Can you say Cantlay one more time for us? Sure as hell can. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then he's in my DraftKings lineup. I want John Rahm, Patrick Cantlay, Tony Finau, Gary Woodland, Chaz Reeve, and Sepp Straka. Oh, dude, you are sleeping on Martin Keimer this week. That's Hickman's favorite golfer right there, right behind Phil. Big fan. <laughs> Big fan. All right, Hickman, how are you making money this week? So, actually, my train of thought's similar to yours, Logan, but I'm going to take uh, Cliff Kingsbury, Kyler Murray, and the Cardinals – who are minus two with their first home preseason game, and the over under thirty six, and I'm going to take the over also. Uh, th- <laughs> we I mean, are we are not both going to win this. We're probably not. No, no. But but <laughs> you you see this with first first game, new coach. They they want to dazzle in front of a home crowd, even though it's it's a meaningless preseason game. They're playing the Cardinals, the Cardinal or sorry, the Chargers. They don't give a crap. Phil Phil Rivers isn't going to play. They, you know, it's did, Chargers. Did y'all are, share like talking points on this? We did not. That's really funny. It's no, really we're funny. just both football gurus. Yeah. So, so maybe this should be a, a big time parlay, Logan. We should go all in. All right, I'm going all in. Count me down for an all in bet, poor from what, what, what would that get us? We need to look that up. <laughs> a parlay. Yeah, for for all four of those things to happen. Thoughts of that parlay hitting are 13 to 1, so probably not the best bet in the world, but I guarantee it has a better shot of hitting than Jason Duffner winning the Wyndham. That'll do it for episode 2 of the Sports Nuts and Beer Guts podcast with Chris, Logan, and Matt. Thank you all for uh, listening. Uh, if you enjoyed it, give us a follow on Twitter, at Sports Nuts Pod, and you can also follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, any other 
podcast uh, app you use to listen to your podcast. Uh, give us a follow. Give us a five-star rating. Leave us a review. Hope you enjoyed, and uh, we'll catch you next week. Have a good one. Bye.